Thank you, church family, uh, for the invitation, the opportunity to be here with you. Uh, for those that know me a little bit in our story, uh, we moved from Seattle to Oklahoma uh, to attend over you, and I connected with Pastor Harold and for a season served here. Um, and, and God really taught me a lot of things through this family, through Pastor Harold and, and watching him and and seeing his love for the community. And, and man, I just began to dream, honestly, just uh, what Pastor Harold was doing here at Jenks and just connecting and and, and this family here and, and seeing the love and, and the fellowship. And um, and so uh, while even here, we began to, I began to call some of my friends in Seattle. So I, I grew up in Seattle, and there's a large uh, Russian-Ukrainian population, about 100,000, uh, that live in our area. Uh, now there's there's some Russian churches uh, that are, you know, only Russian, no English, and and so for a season, uh, there's been a lot of people that just left church altogether, and a lot of my friends whom I grew up with. And so while even here serving at River Oaks, I'd, I'd call him and say, how you doing? Well, I, you know, out of church. Or, well, why not? Well, I don't, you know, I don't understand, and things are changing. And and so just I was burdened with uh, with going back to Seattle and praying and, and sharing with Pastor Harold and um Four years ago, we moved back and to, to plant the church in Seattle. The church that I was a part of uh, while I used to live in Seattle split up. And just it was just kind of hard to go back. To like, which one do you go back to? Because they split and a lot of infighting. And, and in, in those infightings, people, too, leave church. And, uh, and so we moved back to Seattle and we started a church called City on the Hill. Um, we didn't know what to plan for. Uh, we didn't know what God was going to do, but uh, certainly grace and, and mercy of God and, and came and um, just hundreds of people began to come. Um, and uh, today we, we serve a couple thousand people on every weekend, uh, have two different campuses. Uh, in the last uh, three and a half years, we've rented uh, 13 different facilities. And we just move around, you know, people sometimes come and they're like, oh, you guys aren't here? No, we've already moved on to facilities. <laughs> um, at this point, this weekend, we rent five different facilities for our services. And, and God is doing something in Seattle, and, and we're just uh, blessed to be a part of that. And, and uh, honestly, this church here and Pat, what Pastor Harold has done and uh, your prayers and your support have been a part of that. And, and your heritage is what God is going to do in Seattle. And so um, it's just an honor to be back with you. Uh, my wife and my kids could not come with me, uh, but they're at home. God has blessed me with a wonderful family, my wife Tanya, and we have three kids. Uh, now, I, I don't know how much you remember, but when we were in the, here, and I'll share this tonight a little bit more, but when we were here, uh, we were just married, no kids, and... Uh, uh, our first pregnancy was, you know, happened while we were here, and, and we lost that baby. We had a miscarriage. I remember I was in the office uh, sitting when my wife called me. So I'll share that testimony a little bit tonight. And then we went through that, and, and, and then again, my wife got pregnant. We had our son Matthew here, and we had him dedicated here at this, this church. And he's four years old, uh, four and a half. And uh, then God has blessed us with a daughter named Honor, H-O-N-O-R. Uh, my wife came up with that. And, um, and then uh, three months ago, God gave us another son. His name's Levi. 
And uh, so it's a handful, three kids, all four and under. Uh, and it's a season. <laughs> but God, is, God was, has been gracious. And I'm learning again what it means to sleep more than three hours straight. Today, last night was a miracle. <laughs> Amen. Today, I, I want to share something on my heart. And I was battling because, you know, I prepared for five different messages. And it's like, what message do you share? Because Sunday morning, you know, you got everybody here. And it's like, which one do I speak? And, and, um, and, and so after prayer and battling, I want to speak on myths. And, and I'm sorry, don't get offended if you like Oprah here. But I want to speak on myths of Oprah, seven myths of Oprah. Now, Oprah's great. And there's many things, great things that she does. But there's, there's one myth that she promotes a lot that I just in Seattle you get a handful now you guys live in Oklahoma and and you know it's a little bit more um, a little bit more traditional and conservative and so maybe it's not as promoted often here but back in Seattle you know where pot is legal and many other things are legal too uh, we, we hear this a lot and, and this is a debate between well are we saved by Jesus only or are there many ways to God okay so this this issue Statistics say that 51% of, of youth, Christian youth, who go into college will come out atheist. 51%. When they come out from college, the 51% who went in as Christian, okay, grew up in church, 51 of those percent who come out of college as atheists, they don't come out as, uh, well, I'm a Muslim now, or I'm a Hindu now, or, uh, you know, I'm a Buddhist now. No, they will typically come out as you know, kind of this nun, or like I'm an atheist, or just, well, there's just, God is just, you know, something you can't really understand or explain, and, and he's out there agnostic, okay? And so I wanted to kind of just, just look into that today, and so I'm going to take a second to just to set something up on the stage here for, for an example. Uh, Vitaly, you can help me just get three chairs out here. I won't have anybody sit there. To, just, just a visual example. Okay, so, and if you could just move this chair to the side. So we live in a culture, and each one of these chairs represents a certain worldview, a certain religion. Okay, and so let's say these three are are Muslim, Hindu, and Buddhist. Okay, we'll say this is the Christian one. Okay, we'll call this the agnostic or the Oprah worldview, and then these worldviews are sort of like these crazy, uh, you know, those that. Uh, teach child sacrifice and like the Nazis and, and, and the crazy cults, okay? So we'll, we'll call them that a little separate. So my message today is the seven myths of Oprah. Before we do that, just want to read a couple of scriptures. In 1 John 5, 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So scripture says whoever has... Jesus, the Son, has life. Who does not have Jesus does not have life. Scripture also says in John 3.36, and again, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. 
in Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other, no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved, except Jesus. And the last scripture is 1 Timothy 2.5-6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all men, the testimony given in his proper time. So scripture is very clear that salvation is found in no one else except in Jesus Christ. That's what scripture is very clear. But very often we live in a culture, a very pluralistic culture, that says, well, you know, there's just many ways to God, and, and, and you know, God is just, it's just you know, he's out there, and, and so all these other religions, they kind of lead to the same God. So the first myth that is very often spoken in all culture is this. All major religions are equally valid and teach the same thing. I don't know if you've heard that. You hear that very often on, you know, in college, in prof- professors, and TV, and Oprah, and everywhere else. So all religions teach the same thing, and they're just basically the same. So here's a couple things about that. When people say that, when Oprah says that, or when your professor says that in school, what they'll typically say is, well, yeah, all religions teach the same thing. And then you ask them, these religions too? And just, oh, no, 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 no. Remember that guy in, in Arizona that led like 200 people to commit suicide together? They said, no, 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 not this guy. And then you tell them, well, when you say all religions teach the same thing, you mean the same, you know, the Nazis? They, they t- I know it wasn't a religion, but just kind of go with me. You, you mean you're trying to say they teach the same, they, they teach about the same God? Oh no, no, not the Nazis. Well, all major religions teach the same God. Well, well, you talking about the religion that teaches child sacrifice? They teach the same. Oh no, no, no. So when people say all major religions lead to the same God, when you question, they'll they'll start to say, well, no, no, some religions, not others. So. So the fact is, they're hypocritical in their statement because they say it that all religions teach the same thing, but when you question them, they'll deny, deny that. The second problem with the statement is when, when you say all major religions are equally valid and teach the same thing, is that when people say that, they have no clue what other religions teach. They typically describe God as an all-loving spirit of the universe. Pluralists distort the claims of world religions by imposing their own views upon them. For example, Buddhism doesn't even believe in a personal God. Okay? Christianity, Judaism, and, and Muslim religion, they don't teach that God is just a loving God. They also teach of God as a God of justice and righteousness. So, so when they say, well, all religions kind of teach the same thing, well, Muslim will say, no, Buddhism doesn't teach what we teach. And the Hindu will say, no, you guys don't teach what we teach. So each religion, I mean, the, the, the pluralists will distort each religion's worldviews. The third problem with the statement that all major religions are equally valid and basically teach the same thing is that when you say that, these people say, well, you know, I know you guys got your own little doctrines, but doctrine is not all that important. The problem with that is insistence that doctrine does not matter is a doctrine in itself. Saying that doctrine does not matter is a doctrine in itself. Because they hold a specific view of God. That God is somewhere distant. 
that God is loving, that God is unknowable, and they believe that their view of God is correct. Okay? Yet they forbid others from claiming that their view of God is correct. The fourth problem with the statement that all religions are the same and they teach the same thing is these people, when they claim that, they don't understand the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. Okay. Let me share some things about Jesus. Jesus, certainly an agnostics and atheists and all these people, they like Jesus. Yeah, you know, Jesus taught well. He taught to love and not to judge. And, and so they like Jesus, but, but it's his claims that they have a problem with. Because you see, Jesus said a couple things. For example, in John 14, 6, Jesus said this to Thomas. He, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. What's interesting is that when Jesus said that to Thomas, Jesus knew that Thomas would become a missionary in what country? Anybody know? India. A land of... 300 million different gods. A land where people say, hey, everything's a God. Anything that moves or breathes or, you know, you can see, that's a God. And Jesus says, hey, Thomas, you're going to go there? But listen, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. Even Pharisees spoke about Jesus and they said, listen, man, you're sharing some blasphemy in John 10, 33. Because you being a man, make yourself God. So the problem with saying, well, there's many, all religions teach the same thing, is they don't understand the uniqueness of Jesus. You see, Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius, Dalai Lama, none of these people claim to be God. Jesus did. Other religions leaders say, follow me and I'll show you how to find the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I'll show you the way to salvation. Jesus says, I am the way to eternal life. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I'll show you how to become enlightened. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Okay. And so if Jesus says, if Jesus is who he says he is, the son of the living God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life and said, you must deny yourself and follow me. If that's true, okay then we should surrender the rest of our lives to Him and follow Him. Amen. If that's not true, then there's no point coming back here next week. But you see, Jesus is, Jesus is so unique in that Jesus also backs up His claim with unique, unmatchless credentials. He lived the perfect life. He fulfilled dozens of prophecies written hundreds of years before Jesus. He performed great miracles in broad, broad daylight. He showed mastery over nature. He showed mastery over sickness. He showed mastery over death. Jesus fulfilled his own predictions that he would die and be resurrected again. And so the fourth reason why this statement that all religions kind of teach the same thing, problem with that statement is people don't understand the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. Another problem with that statement is that when people make the statement, so when, when the pluralist makes the statement, well, all these religions kind of teach the same thing, they don't realize the big difference between these religions and Christianity. And the difference between the religions. For example, Hinduism, they teach reincarnation. When you die, you become one of four things. Another human, 
an animal, a mineral, or a vegetable? I'm not making this up. <laughs> but the biggest difference is that every religion, okay, all of these religions are based on people doing things to earn God's favor. The Tibetan prayer rail, pilgrimages, giving alms to the poor, avoiding certain food, performing a number of deeds, going through a cycle of reincarnation. All these are attempts to reach God, while Christianity is God reaching out to man. That's a big difference. And, 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 and you can see this very much in, in the story of the prodigal son. Do you know that Christian literature and Buddhist literature, they have the exact same story of a prodigal son. You guys know that? Yeah. So the, in, in both of these stories, there's a prodigal son who lived with his father, got his money and left, lived a sinful lifestyle, real, spent all his money, realized his mistake, and went back to the father. The biggest difference, though, is the ending. And then the Buddhist literature, the end, in the end, the father says, son, you have to work years and years to hopefully earn your spot back. While the Christian literature, if you know the prodigal son story, the son comes back and guess what the father does? He gives him a ring and accepts him and says, hey, you are my son. You are forgiven. That's a big difference. Amen. So the first problem or the first myth is that you know, all religions kind of teach the same thing. No, they don't. The second myth that's often promoted by Oprah or the pluralist or your college professor is a myth, myth number two that says this. Each religion sees part of a spiritual truth, but none can see the whole truth. Okay? So each of you guys, you know, you Christians see one aspect, Buddhists see another aspect, Hindus see another, all of you sees a certain aspect, but nobody sees the whole thing. And so all of you put together is God. Well, going back to the, uh, have you ever heard of this, uh, uh, this parable of the elephant and blind man being brought up to the elephant? So four blind men were brought up to the elephant, and they said, hey, feel the elef elephant and explain it to us. Well, the first blind man came up to the, to the nose, and he felt it, and he said, the elephant is like a snake. The second man came up to, to, the, to the legs. He felt, the elephant is like a tree. The third man came up to the stomach and he felt, man, the elephant is like a barrel, you know. The fourth man, he felt uh, the ear, the, the ear of the elephant. He said, oh man, this is like an eagle or something, you know, with, with wings flapping. And, and it would take a person who sees to stand back and say, hey, all of you are wrong because you're only seeing a part of the truth. The reality is all of you put together explains what the elephant looks like. Well, pluralists, they'll do the same thing. They'll say, hey, listen, you Christians are wrong because you only see a small aspect of God, and you Buddhists see a small aspect of God, and you Hindus see a small aspect, and you Muslims, you only see a small aspect of God, and all of you put together is who God is. Well, to make that statement, guess where you need to be? You need to be on the outside to see the whole thing. But didn't you just say that nobody sees this whole thing? Everybody sees only a part? 
So though it sounds like a great statement, it's a very, uh, it's, you know, it's an appearance of humility to say one religion only sees a part of the truth because it's made by someone who thinks they see it all. So that's hypocrisy to say, well, you guys see a part and you guys see a part and you see a part because the, the person making that statement has to believe that they see everything. While you just claim nobody can see everything. So, so the reality is, uh, well, then how do you, how do you determine uh, whether you know one way or many ways to God? Uh, so each religion, the fact is, each religion makes some claims. Okay, and what you have to do is you have to go back and, and determine your faith on these four characteristics. One is, well, what's our origin? Where do we come from? Two is, uh, where does morality come from? How do you know what's good and what's bad? Third question is, what's the meaning of life? Okay. And the fourth question is, our destiny. What's going to happen after we die? So every religion or every worldview has to answer these four questions. And I believe when you look at origin, morality, meaning, and destiny, and when you weigh those questions responsibly, I believe you will come to Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the best answer for that. The third myth that is often made by the pluralists is, and, and your, by your college professors is this. You Christians are narrow-minded if you believe that there's only one way to God. You're narrow-minded if you believe that Jesus is the only way. You're narrow-minded to believe that you're saved only if you believe in Jesus Christ. The reality is, I agree, it is narrow-minded. But... It is just as narrow-minded to say that there are many ways to God. Okay? To say that Jesus is the only way is narrow-minded. But it's just as narrow-minded to say that there are many ways to God. So friends, welcome to the narrow-minded club. We're all narrow-minded. We're all intolerant. Okay? To claim that, well, you're intolerant and I'm tolerant because I believe there's many ways to God. You're just as intolerant. You're just as narrow-minded. Very often, you know, we Christians and, and our young people growing up, we kind of get stumped by this. Well, yeah, I guess I am narrow-minded, you know, because I believe, you know, Jesus is the only way. But by accepting pluralism, you're not embracing openness. You're just rejecting one's own tradition for another, the pluralist. You're moving from one narrow-mindedness to another narrow to another narrow-mindedness. Skeptics believe that claims to a knowledge of God cannot be true, but this objection in itself is a religious belief. It assumes God is unknowable, that God is loving but not wrathful, that God is impersonal, okay, so God is not a person. All these are unprovable faith assumptions. They also believe that the world would be a better place if everyone dropped their traditional views of God and truth and adopted their own. Therefore, their view is also an exclusive claim about the nature of spiritual reality. You know, very often Christians get called intolerant. And, and, and if you would just come, up, come out into the streets, and maybe in, in Oklahoma this won't happen, but in Seattle, come out into the streets and say, hey, what do you think of Christians? And their answers, man, they're, oh, I don't know if I can say some of these words here. You know, they're narrow-minded, and they're bigots, and there's this, and this, and that. And if you would just take their answers, and let's say you'd apply those answers 
If you would ask them, hey, what do you think of woman? And the same answers would come out. Hey, what do you think of a Russian? And the same answers. Hey, what do you think of a person of a different race? And the same answers would come out. Man, these people, man, they'd be all over the news. They'd be persecuted. We live, every, I mean, we live in an intolerant world. It's, 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 uh, it's unreal to just say that, well, only Christians are intolerant. Everybody's intolerant in a certain way. Everybody's got beliefs and, uh, and assumptions. Myth number four that is often promoted by the pluralists, and I'm sorry if I use the word Oprah, but it kind of, you know, kind of makes it easier. The fourth myth that's often promoted by a college professors is this. That, well, your spiritual beliefs are the product of your spiritual uh, or your culture and your upbringing. So they say, well, you're a Christian because you were born in Oklahoma. And uh, you're a Muslim because you were born in Iraq. And you're a Buddhist because you were born in Asia. And you're a Hindu because you were born in India. That's it. So our beliefs, our spiritual beliefs, these people will say, are only the result of our upbringing. Okay? And so they say, hey, don't change your views because you're only a Christian because that's the way you were brought up. But when you, when you take one of the kids of this people and you bring him up to, old, to, to Oprah, guess what Oprah will tell them? So they take, you take the college professor and you bring him up to the kids of a Nazi. Guess what the, culture, what the professor will say? You've got to change your beliefs. I know you were raised a Nazi. I know you were raised in that cult's leader's homes. I know you were raised to believe in child sacrifice. But you've got to change your beliefs. So why is it okay to tell these people that they need to reevaluate what they've been raised to believe, yet not these people, especially Christians? You see, so certainly I'll agree that as we grow up, we tend to believe in what we were raised to believe and taught. But no matter what you're taught when you're born, sooner or later, we need to reevaluate the realities that we're all taught truth claims of some sort, and it's very hard to wait and responsible, but we have no alternative. We have to do it. We have to ask ourselves, is this, you know, why do I believe in this and, and, and is this something that I should continue to believe? No matter who you're raised, whether you're raised as a Hindu or a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Christian or a pluralist, sooner or later you have to ask yourselves questions. Well, uh, what do I believe about my origin? Where do humans come from? What do I believe about, you know, what happens after death? What do I believe about the meaning of life? Everybody has to ask those questions. I, going back to my youth years, I, I remember when I was 14, 15 years old, we sort of have like this, you know how you have the Jenks River Walk? Kind of have that in the Seattle area. And I would just go there and I would walk around and I would ask myself questions. Well, why do I believe in Jesus? Well, why the Bible and not, you know, some other book? And, and so even though I was raised in a Christian home and my grandpa was in prison for, for being a, a preacher because they found a Bible in his home in a communist country and my parents feared God and even though I, ra- I was raised in a Christian home, sooner or later that faith had to become mine. I had to ask myself, not because, well, my parents believed so. No, it had to become personal. It had to become mine. So even though, yes, our upbringing does have an effect on who we become, sooner or later we all have to ask it for ourselves. 
The fifth myth that is often promoted by this pluralist or by college professors is the myth that says this. You cannot criticize another religion. You're a Christian? Great. You're a Buddhist? Great. You're a Hindu? Great. You cannot criticize another religion. The idea that it is wrong to do so is deeply rooted in the Western tradition of individualism. In the USA, all religions are equally protected. But that does not mean they're all equally valid. Okay? So though uh, we cannot go out and kill a person of a different religion, we all give value to other religions, whether or not we want to agree with that. So for example, if you're a pluralist, and you look at a Muslim and say, well, you know, you, you cannot criticize a Muslim. Well, the fact that you're not becoming a Muslim tells me that you've given a Muslim religion a value. A value that, you know, less than what the Muslim would want you to give it. So if a Muslim, if you were to give the Muslim religion the full value, man, you'd have a burqa or whatever on your head. You know what I mean? But since you're not walking around with that head covered, you've given the Muslim religion a lesser value. The reality is we all give value to all religions. To say you cannot criticize another religion, well, you do so by not following the Muslim traditions or the Hindu traditions or the Buddhist traditions or the Nazi traditions or the Christian traditions. We all, critic we all give value to all religions. So don't be scared by saying, well, you know, I can't really speak against the Muslim faith because... You know, it's their right, and, and um, if that's what they believe, that's great. Well, you already give value by not following that religion. We all criticize other religions. It's a myth. So, so if, if a professor talks to you and says, hey, don't criticize other religions, tell him, look him back in his eye and say, hey, you do it. <laughs> you criticize other religions because you don't follow those religions. The sixth myth that is often promoted by our culture, by the pluralists, is this. Everyone should keep religion to themselves away from the public square. You're a Christian? All right, be quiet about it. You're a Muslim? Great. Keep it at home? Be quiet about it. You're a Hindu? Great. Just keep quiet about it. You're a Buddhist? Great. Just be quiet about it. You know, this statement in itself is a religious and hypocritical statement. The reason why it's hypocritical because you are standing here and telling Hey, you Christians be quiet. Hey, you Muslims be quiet. Hey, you Hindus be quiet. Hey, you Buddhists be quiet. Yet you're speaking. And you're telling them to be quiet. You know, if you truly believe that, hey, keep your religion away from the public school, then be quiet about it. Keep, it to, keep that opinion to yourself. Why are you telling a Christian to be quiet while you speak? So that's a hypocritical statement. This, the, the second problem with that statement is it's a religious statement. Because then you believe the religion is something that just needs to stay at home and away from the public square. That your religious life is something only for home and not to be displayed publicly. Well, our religion or our belief teaches that we are, we are to share, we are to witness to others. We are to proclaim about Jesus Christ. And so to believe otherwise means that I have a different religious belief. So this statement that you know you need to keep religion quiet and, and away from the public square, that's hypocritical and that's religious. And that's not something we have to follow. 
The seventh myth promoted often by our culture, okay? So by this world that we live in, by our professors, uh, by TV, by Oprah, is this. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Hey, you know, just do good works. Just love your neighbors. Just be good to others. And doesn't matter what you really believe. Doesn't matter what your formula is. As long as you're good, you'll be saved. Uh, you know what Jesus said about that? Jesus said this, that one day people will come before the throne. And so they'll say, Jesus, we prophesied in your name. Jesus, we cast out demons. And Jesus, we did many great works. And guess what Jesus will say to them? Listen, depart from me, I never knew you. But Jesus, we were sincere. We did great works. We did many great... Mother Teresa times ten. You know? We were sincere, Jesus. Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. So apparently, sincerity is not enough. Apparently, good works does not deal with our sin problem. Apparently, Mother Teresa times ten does not cross off the fact that we've sinned. And we need a forgiveness of our sins. So it's not about our sincerity. It's not about our good works. It's about our belief in Jesus Christ. Who died on the cross for my sin. And Him taking my sin. Which leads me to salvation. Now, is there good works in that? Yeah. If we are saved, it's going to produce good works. And if good works are not being produced, I question your salvation. But the reason why we are saved has nothing to do with our works. It has everything to do with Christ's works and what He did on the cross. And, you know, often you even hear this in the church. Well, well, you know, but, but you've kind of drawn this out. Well, what about all those people who haven't heard about Jesus? Well, sure, uh, you know, they'll probably surely have a way to sort of get saved. Friends, uh, I mean, we can fantasize about this. But we don't have to fantasize about this. We can read the scripture and what the scripture says. You see, if there was a way to be saved without Jesus Christ, if there was at least one person who found a way to deal with their sin issue, without Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ would have never came to die on the cross. But there was no other way. There was no other way to deal with our sin because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. You can be Mother Teresa times 10 and our community needs you. But it doesn't save you. You've still got sin. The Bible says everybody has sinned. And your sin has to be dealt with. And our sin cannot be dealt with with our works. It's dealt with death being punished or death being brought forth for sin. And the only way we are saved is if our death is passed on to Christ when He died on the cross. He took our punishment. He took our sin. So you might say, well, well what do we do? You know, well, if, if Jesus is the only way, uh, shouldn't we then get out? Yeah. And preach? Yeah. You know, most, most often we Christians, I wish we can fully realize the fact that, yes, Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. And if we would just deeply realize that, then it would produce in us an urgency to go and proclaim Christ to others. 
But I think very often we kind of, you know, start believing some of these pluralist beliefs, even in Oklahoma. They've got you here too. They've reached you here too. Well, yeah, you know, Jesus, he's, he's probably just kind of one of the ways, and maybe there's other ways if we're just sincere. And, 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 you know, the more we believe that, the more we get away from what the Scripture teaches. That Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by Jesus Christ. Um, my prayer is that we, um, we hold on to what the Bible teaches. Uh, and we firmly believe that in us first and teach that to our children as well. I want to recommend a couple books, and I, you know, I'm sure Pastor Harold and you guys know many authors, great authors, but uh, in this arena, especially when so many people are, are falling for the trap and ending up here, the pluralist mindset, there's some great books. Uh, one is Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Great book uh, on this issue. Uh, another book that I really like, Reasons for God by Timothy Keller. Um, uh, Ravi Zacharias has some great books on that. Um, it's a great apologetic, speaks at some of the most uh, well-known universities, often is on Fox News, CNN, other stations. He's actually coming to our church in September. We're really excited about it. been waiting for it for three years. Um, but he, he'll be with us in September. Another uh, great author is Lee Strobel, Case for Christ, Case for Faith. Uh, he was a he was a an atheist and worked for the Chicago Tribune uh, as an investigator uh, and just began to investigate the Christian faith and came to believe in Christ and uh, he writes about it in a book called Case for Christ. Uh, some great books I'd recommend if you want to kind of reach into this and and also if you've got kids or grandkids they have to do book reports in school like you know they have to and so I'd pay them money to read one of these books. Maybe some other ones. I mean, they have to read something. So give them one of these books and tell them you give them a tip for that as well. I want to end with this illustration, and, and we're going to pray. Um, I really do hope that you're able to come tonight. Um, tonight I want, do want to share a little bit about family, and I want to share my testimony and some of the things we went through, uh, even you know with miscarriage and some other things, um, marriage and, and, and some of it. And so it's going to be great. I hope you can come out tonight. Um, I want to end with this. So we, we have two campuses in Seattle. We started one campus, and then a year later we started another campus, which is an hour north of us. And the second campus that we started is right by, by the Boeing plant, the big one. I know Boeing is all over. You know They've got stuff all over, but there's one huge one in Everett. It's like the largest building or the building with the largest inside square footage in the world. It's huge. And so we see that building right by us. And... Um, and we have a lot of people who work for Boeing in our church. You guys remember Daniel, my brother-in-law. He was with us for a very short season too. Some of you remember. So Daniel, he works for Boeing. And one time he came home and, you know, kind of called me. He's married, by the way. He's got a child. Uh, yeah, he's, God has been good to him and gracious to him. Well, he works for Boeing. He came home one time and he said, Russell, you will not believe it. And, and so he kind of installs different things inside the airplane. Yeah. No wonder Boeing's been having problems lately. But that's another, <laughs> that's another problem. That's another issue. So he says, Russell, today at work, I was installing one part and I broke it. Guess how much it cost, that little part. So how much? $150,000. I said, boy, you were, you were fired, weren't you? He said, no. 
said, they didn't fire you? He said, no. He said, I, I break these spar- we break these spars almost every single day. That cost $150,000. And I said to him, I said, uh, well, Daniel, what if like you come to work late, you know, a couple minutes, two or three times? Will they fire you? Yeah. And I thought to myself, hmm, you break a part that's $150,000 and you're not fired, but you come to work late three minutes, three times, and they give you the pink slip. You're fired. Let me kind of put this together. I can't. Nine minutes of work, you're fired, and $150,000, you're all right. We all make mistakes. But then I began to think back to God's scripture and God's word and and Jesus. You know, very often as well in our life, we will make mistakes that will cost us more than $150,000. But it's not those mistakes that will disqualify us from our salvation. It's whether or not we can keep on coming back to Jesus Christ as our hope and our salvation. You see, yeah, Daniel made a mistake, but he's showing up on time. He's coming back to work, and he's faithful, and he still has a job. Same thing with our belief is that, yes, we'll make mistakes. Yes, we'll sin. Yes, mistakes will be costly, but who do we put our trust? Are we coming back to Jesus right here? Are we beginning to put our trust in, you know, in other gods, in other ways, in, uh, you know, in works? Who do we keep on coming back to? Um, the Bible says that a righteous man is not a man who's going to you know, be perfect in all his ways and, and know this whole formula. A righteous man, the Bible says, will fall seven times, but get back up and come back to Jesus. And just look back to him. So my challenge is um, to you this morning that yes, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus loves you. And he wants you to come back. And he wants you to keep coming back to him. Because in him is our salvation. In him is our hope. In him is our destiny. Only in Christ. Let's bow our heads. I want us to pray for this morning. I want us to pray for our children, our grandchildren, for our community. And, you know, this this fast pace towards pluralism. I want us to to just pray for that and ask God to guard our hearts and our thoughts so that we're not sidetracked with these beliefs. I also want us to pray that God may produce in each and every one of us an urgency if that we truly believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, that He may produce in us an urgency to share about Jesus with others. And if you're here today and, and man, you're lost and, and you've broken some things, many things that are worth a lot of money, I want to challenge you to, yes, Jesus is the only way and He's waiting for you. He wants to be your way to salvation. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Thank you for your word and your truth. Father, thank you for making a way for each and every one of us, for me. 
don't matter how many good deeds I do, I've got sin. And I need my sin to to be dealt with. And your word says that the only way sin is dealt with is death. Father, thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on my behalf and taking my sin and making a way for me. Father, you also made a way for our children and grandchildren, for everyone in our community. Jesus, and today we just come before you and we we ask your protection on our on our minds and hearts that we may not be swayed by these pluralist worldview that we're surrounded with and just just pushed with all around in the media and our schools and our colleges. Jesus, I pray that you may remain to be the Savior and the way for our children and grandchildren, that they may continue to call upon you for their salvation. Lord and Father, I just pray produce in us an urgency. Father, may this truth that you are the only way, the truth and the life, may this truth sink in deeper in us. For if we truly understand it, if we truly accept that, Lord, it will produce in us an urgency to share with our neighbors, to share with our friends and co-workers about the offer made through the cross of Jesus Christ. Father, we also come before you and we realize we make mistakes, we break things that cost a lot of things, whether it be in relationships and family and in our promises. Jesus, when we come before you, Father, if there's anybody here today that just Satan has trapped them in the belief that maybe they're unworthy. Maybe there's no way back. Maybe they're fired forever because they've done something so bad. Jesus, I pray, God, that you may open up and reveal to their hearts that it's not about breaking things. It's about coming back. It's about coming to the cross. It's about accepting your grace and your forgiveness and running to you and putting hope in you. Father, we pray that you may bless this week and every evening service that we're going to have together. Tonight, Jesus, as we speak about family and some of the things and troubles that we go through in family lives, in marriages and health issues, Lord, I pray, God, tonight that you may minister to every person that is going to be here. And this week, every evening, Lord, we just pray your blessing, your word to be spoken. Father, I, I'm, Jesus, I need you. I pray for wisdom. There's nothing that I nor anybody else can give to anyone without that, 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 that can help except you and your word. Jesus, season with your, your presence and your grace and your anointing. We need you. In Jesus' name.